So if you have your Bibles, please uh, flip them open to Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. And if you don't have your Bibles, uh, it should be on the screen, so you can look up here. And so this is, sorry, the Word of God uh, through the words of Apostle Paul. This is what he says. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Yeah, I, I went a little long there, I'm sorry. But um, the passage we're looking at today is from Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. And if you've been with us for the past two weeks, uh, we've been in a new sermon series titled Gospel Clarity. And it's been, honestly, an amazing sermon series, but it's also been a really challenging one. Uh, for the first week, Pastor Dave opened up with the topic of election, right, where he talked about God's free choosing um, to choose whoever and whomever he wants because of his grace and solely based on his grace. Last week, he talked about regeneration and repentance. And for those of you... Um, that's pretty much birth to life from flesh to spirit. And he used a lot of zombie illustrations, if that rings any bells. Um, but today, I get to speak on a topic called justification. Um, can everybody say justification? Okay, come on now. Yeah, like, that's what we're going to be talking about today. And it's a beautiful, beautiful topic that I had a really, really difficult time with this week. Um, and it was just a text that I was wrestling with. It's a topic I was wrestling with. But as I was able to chew on it, I, I was able to see like how God's grace is colored in all of this and how his, um, just the beauty of what he did is in this doctrine that we're calling justification. So we're going to get into that. And so I have three questions I want to help us get there to understanding what justification is. And so for those of you who take notes, these are the three points. The three questions we're going to be asking is, what is justification? Why do I need to be justified? And how do I live in it? That's the three questions I'm asking. And my goal for this is to be as clear and as simple as possible. So the three questions is, what is it? Why do we need it? And how do we get it? So can you pray with me as we begin to open up God's word in this together? Um, God, I just want to say thank you that we can gather like this and that we could open up your word to hear what you have to say about justification. And so, Lord, I pray that as we open up this word, I pray that we would see you clearly. I pray that there might be some things in our hearts um, and things that we've done in the past we just can't seem to let go. But I pray that as we see this theme that is colored throughout the Bible, I pray that we would be able to see that in Christ and in you we're justified, that you tell us we're enough, that we don't have to work for it, but we're given it. And so, Lord, I pray that your message would go forth. And God, I just pray that, would you use me? Um, would you make me an instrument in the Redeemer's hands? And we pray all this in your name. Amen. And so if you're unfamiliar with or new to this word, um, it's best to understand justification as this, and the definition is going to be back here. And it's best to under understand justification as the verdict that the sinner is made righteous. 
okay? Justification is the verdict that the sinner is made righteous. And I have to kind of explain what I mean by that. There are two components in this definition. The first is a verdict, and the second one is status. Sorry, this is a lot of wind. Um, the first is verdict, and the second is status. In the, in the context of law, in the court of law, and I asked one of our college students who is going that track if this was right, and pretty much the verdict in the context of law is when a judge, based, judge and jury, based on uh, evidences that are presented to them upon the accused, they can declare whether this person is declared innocent or guilty. And that's the status they are given. And based on the verdict that is made, it can't be changed. And so that's, that, that's going to help us understand what justification is. But I have another illustration because as I was thinking about what justification means and like what does verdict mean for my life, uh, there was one moment in my life recently that I thought of. And for those of you who uh, already know, earlier this year, uh, I got engaged uh, to my fiance. And pretty much, uh, thank you. Uh, I got engaged to her, and for some reason, when I thought of verdict, I thought of the moment I proposed to her. And let me explain why. Um, you know, when I was, for those of you who I was talking with the whole time, you know how nervous I was and how stressed I was. And I wasn't nervous because I was afraid she was going to say no, okay? We've talked about it. I didn't go into this with blind faith, okay? I, I kind of knew she was going to say yes. And, but I was nervous because of the process that it was going to take for me to get there. What I mean by that is for, for me to propose to her, I first had to put my heart on my sleeve I first had to be vulnerable with her, open myself up to her, and say, I want to spend the rest of my life with you, do you with me? And that was the most terrifying thing I've ever, I think I've ever done in my life. And I think for a lot of us, some of the most scariest things that we've ever done in our lives is to make ourselves deeply vulnerable and wait for validation from someone else. There's just something in our hearts that happens when it says, hey, open up, our hearts clench and we're like, no. For some of us in small group, when it's time for us to share, we only share the good stuff, but when it's time to be honest and real with our hearts, we don't. Why? Because there's a deep fear within us that says, if I share too much, I'm not going to be validated. Or if I share and if I show who I really am, people aren't going to like what they see. And in the same way, that's, that was kind of my experience with my, my fiance, where I was afraid to open, us, open myself up to her fully. But in this kind of illustration that's super, super simplified, I think we see what justification is. And let me explain, because when I proposed to my girlfriend, pretty much she became the waiting, she became the active judge in my life. And I had to make a declaration to her and I was waiting for the verdict to be made whether she was going to say yes or no. And based on her verdict, I was either going to stay as boyfriend or maybe it'll be over after that or my status was gonna change to fiance. And my friends texted me afterwards and say, they said, hey, what's the verdict? And I said, she said yes. And my status changed from boyfriend to fiance. And I used that to highlight again verdict and status. And in the same way, when we look at our passage in Romans chapter five, verses one and two, we see the exact same thing. Read with me again verses one and two. Paul says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Even in this passage, we see the verdict where Paul says you're justified by faith. And then we see that there's a status. We have peace with God that gives us access to him. But notice who Paul is writing to. The tone when he writes in verses 1 to 5, he's talking to the church of Rome, to other believers who already have this. He's talking to them saying, you have been justified by faith. You already have it, so don't forget it. But for those of us who live in the 21st century and who live in the society that we do, in the neighborhood that we do, it's not, it doesn't take long until we forget that we're justified by Christ and we don't have to work for our approval before him because of the way our society and the way that things around us are moving. Not only do we have access to some of the best academic schools and respected companies in the world, right being across New York City, but we also have access to everyone around the world, and we get to see everything that is happening through our phones and social media. Back in 2017, there was a New York Times article published, um, and it was titled, Why Are More American Teenagers Than Ever Suffering From Severe Anxiety? And this was published on New York Times. And in this article, the writer's main point that American teenagers are suffering from severe anxiety more than ever is because they never get to a point where they can just stop. They never get to a point where they can just rest. Enough for them is never enough. After one assignment, they have another. After one class, they have another. After working up towards this, they have to now work up towards this. And the cycle never ends. And that's why this author said the problem these American teenagers are wrestling with that a lot of us in this room who are college students, recent high school graduates, you know what this hustle, you know what this relentless pursuit feels like. And that's what the author says is happening in our country. There's a relentless pursuit for self-justification. And the Bible says, yes, it's true. And that doesn't only apply to our students, but I'm sure that applies to our moms, our dads, working professionals, young adults, people who may even be retired. There's this constant just going after this, after this, after this. And after the year and a half we had in the pandemic, I'm sure that we, can, we still feel the effects of being burnt out and relentlessly running right now. And this is precisely the reason why we need God's justification. This is point two, why do we need it? Because we are on a relentless pursuit for self-justification. If God's justification is his way of saying to you, you are righteous, you are mine, you are enough, and, you, and imagine what would happen if we really internalize this where we come every Sunday, we hear the sermon that says, in the gospel, Christ says you are enough. And Christ says, you don't have to run like this anymore. You can rest. Imagine what would happen to you if we internalized this and we really believed it in our hearts. What kind of person would you become? How would the voices in your head that make you anxious, that, that, that hold you up from sleeping at night, what kind of things would happen in your life that causes you to just rest and breathe? Imagine what would happen to you if we deeply got that in our hearts. And the Bible says this is exactly why we need it, because this is what the gospel provides for you and me. Imagine if, 
Imagine going to your uh, local Barnes and Noble or going to your local uh, public bookstore, okay? Um, and let's say you walk in. What kind of books or genre do you think there's going to be more of? Do you think there's going to be more books that teach you on how to serve others? Or do you think there's going to be way more books on self-help books? I'm pretty sure you walk into any book in this country, there's going to be way more books that tell you how to better yourself through self-help books. And if you've never read a self-help book, pretty much what these books will tell you is that it doesn't matter what anybody else around you thinks. It doesn't matter what any, anyone around you thinks. What matters most is what you think about yourself. And they'll tell you to wake up every morning, to look yourself in the mirror, and to chant these words over yourself until you believe it again and again and again. You is beautiful. You is kind. You are smart. You are capable. It's okay that you don't know what you're doing in life right now. You're taking a break. Take it slow. You are amazing. You are so smart. People love to be around you. And, and self-help books will tell you to remind yourself of these truths until you believe it. But now, let me ask you, what would be way more empowering than you telling yourself how great you are? What if something better than that is, what if someone outside of you told you those exact same things? What if someone outside of you looked at you and said, you know what, you're actually so pleasant to be around. I had no idea how amazing and charming your smile is. Man, you just seem to know what the right thing is to say at the right time every single time. Imagine the type of validation that would come from someone outside of you telling you these things. Is that not better than us telling ourselves these things? But let me raise it a step higher. Now imagine that there's someone in your life that you love and respect so much telling you these things about you. Someone you love and respect saying, man, your work ethic is just off the chart. You are such a faithful and a diligent person. You are great. Now, what would happen when this person tells you these things? I would argue that that is what's going to change the validation and the confidence in our hearts. Why? Because the truth is we can't validate ourselves. And there's a lot of us who are applying for interviews. And imagine just submitting your resume, and under the list of recommendations, the guy interviewing takes a look at it, and he sees your name. The guy's going to be like, hey, is this you, or is this like somebody who has the exact same name as you? And imagine you're like, oh, no, that's me. And they ask you, why did you write your name under the list of recommendations? And you respond, because I know myself better than anybody else. But that's the whole point of them wanting a list of recommendations because we're biased towards ourselves, because there's something within us we can't see. And even in the interview process, we're told there has to be someone outside of us that can give us an objective claim to who we are. Now, what the gospel is saying, that the creator of the universe is saying over you that you are accepted, that you are loved, that you are enough. Imagine again what would happen if we were to internalize this and make this really real in our hearts and in our lives. What kind of person would you become? But before we can become this kind of person, we first have to see what the problem is in us. And just self-justification, this pursuit for it, what we need to realize is it's not only existential. It's not only something that happens in the way we live our lives, or it's not a recent phenomenon that happened through self-help books or through the existence of social media. 
But what the Bible would tell us is that this relentless pursuit has existed from the beginning of time. In Romans chapter 1, verses 24 to 25, Paul tells us where the source of the problem is found. And Paul says this, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. The key here is that we've turned what is created things into the creator. That was, that's what Paul is saying. And use, in using this imagery, Paul is referring back to the garden when God first created man. And Genesis chapter 1 tells us that when God first created man and woman, what does he say? I have made them in my image, and in my image I have made them. And this means that creation reflected the creator, and we reflected him in not only in I mean, not, we reflected him not in our looks, not in, in our skin color or our hair, not in those ways, but we reflected him in our purpose. We reflected him in our work. We reflected him in our dignity. And most importantly, in our identity. As made in the image of God, what this theology tells us is that we lack nothing because we're made in God's image. They had every need met, they were in communion with each other, with God, with the work, and there was no brokenness. What did they lack? But once you read just two more chapters and you get to Genesis 3, what do we see? We see that this flawless unity between man and God was broken when the creature desired to be like the creator. What did they do? For those of you who grew up in Sunday school, they didn't just eat a fruit. That's not why God kicked them out of the garden. It's not like he hated apples or anything like that. The reason why God had to remove them from the garden of Eden was because in eating the fruit, what were they saying? They're saying, God, you're not enough. This fruit is giving me access. This fruit is going to allow me to see what you see. It's going to allow me to be just like you, and I want it. And so what did God have to do? He had to remove them because guess what? They didn't get what they were told. If anything, they realized their brokenness, they realized their nakedness, and God had to remove them out of the garden. They traded created things for the creator, and that's kind of what we do every day in our lives. You know, how do we create created things into, into being our salvation, into being our creator? For some of us, it can be a lot of things. It could be our academics. It could be our social status of climbing the corporate ladder. It could be our, it could be our 401k. It could be finding a significant other. It could be having a job that you can show everybody who you are and what you've achieved. In small ways, this is our fruit. This is what Adam and Eve's fruit was, and that's what it is to us right now. And these are different ways that we might be going to feel self-justified because there's something deep within us that is constantly telling us we're not enough and we just can't stop yet until we get it. And that just, that just puts us back into the cycle of hustling and hustling and hustling and running and running and running. And let me push this just a little bit further. Imagine being God. Imagine being God who created the most perfect environment for his creation to live in and to build and to create and to design. And he says you can be fruitful, you can enjoy it. 
And now, if, imagine if your creation were to reject it. How would we feel? Also, parents, imagine spending your entire evening just cooking up a beautiful meal for your children. You put your blood, sweat, tears into it. I know, I know Pastor Dave this past, um, this past year, one of the things that he really tried to perfect was getting the perfect fluff in his pancakes. And so he would make pancakes for me and Sophia every Saturday. And now imagine even Pastor Dave, he's all this time, all pandemic, fluffing up his pancakes, all to have his children look at it and look at the meal that we've provided for them and say, that's gross, I'd rather have dino nuggets. Imagine, like, how would you feel in those moments you put everything into it? And the reality is, if, God, if we know what rejection feels like, and if we know what a broken heart feels like, why wouldn't God? If we know how much it hurts to work for something and to not be given the same validation and approval that we wanted, why wouldn't God? Of course, he would know it 10 times more. He would know it infinity times more. We're made in his image. The reason we know what it feels like because it comes from him because he also has a heart. He also has a soul, and he's given this into us so we enjoy it in him, but when, we, when, when sin entered the world, we can't do that anymore. And so what has our, our whole life's journey, what it's been is it's always been to return to that place, but our problem is that living in a sin-filled world, we can't find it anymore. We're looking for love, but in all the wrong places. And that's been our journey, that's been our pursuit. And I think in the words of John Piper, how do you fill a God-sized hole with man-made plugs? How do you fill a hole where it's, it's, it's there because it's God's supposed to fill it, but we're, cre- we're filling it with a bunch of created things? We can't. And this is why the Bible says that our verdict before God is guilty. Remember, guys, when I, when I said justification, the way that I define justification is the verdict that defines um, the sinner as righteous. Verdict, it's the verdict that declares the sinner is made righteous. And that's why when we come before God, what's our verdict knowing that we've done all of this? The verdict is that we've been guilty and our status is as sinners. And I know for us, American Western Christians, when I say the word sinner, it kind of, it, it, it puts on a lot of alarms and bells in our heads. And, and frankly, we don't like it because we don't like it when, when we're told something we're defined by. But if we believe, but if we see that self-justification, it's a fruit because of our broken relationship with God, we first have to get to this place where we realize that we're sinners, that there's something deeply wrong in our hearts. And, and what we have to see is that God is after it to make it right. This is why Augustine, an early church father, something he wrote about our hearts in Latin, he writes that it's incurvatus in se, which means that our hearts are so curved within us, and the only thing it knows how to do is to look out for me. Our hearts are so bent inward that it doesn't know how to look outward, but only at what is going on inside of me. For, some, like for those who have babies, what's some of the first words that they say? Mine, is it, is, it like, is it like mine? Or is no, like I don't like that because it doesn't please me. No, it's not, it's mine. Why? Because even from, from the moment that babies are born, there's this thing within them that says, look out for me, look out for you, and that's it. 
And this is why the verdict before God is that we're guilty and we're guilty because at the heart of the matter, we thought merely created things were just as good as the creator himself. We believe God didn't have all that we wanted, so we went to everything else but him. One of my uncles, um, when his, um, he took me out to um, an amusement park when I was younger, and pretty much my parents were there, my uncle was there, and I was looking at a vending machine, and I, I really wanted this snack, uh, and I wanted this drink, and all I needed was $5, though. And I don't remember this, but he told me that I wanted this so bad that I came to my uncle, and I said, you know, hey, like, can I have $5? And then my parents were right there, and they pulled me aside, and they were like, hey, Andre, like, why, why are you going to your uncle for this? Like, don't you know, like, I'm right here, don't you know, like... I could give you the $5, but I refused to go to my parents for some reason. I just kept going to my uncle. And I said, uncle, can you give me $5? And when my parents pulled me aside, they're like, hey, why are you doing this? And my uncle said, he told me this. He said, for some reason, I looked at them and I said, because if I ask you, I don't know if you're going to give it to me. If I go to you, I don't know if you know, you're really going to give me $5. And so, and so and my, and my uncle said, I just kept going to him. But... I thought about that for a moment. Like, why did I do that? And I think in many ways, that's kind of the things that we do with God. I think in many ways, we see that God has more than $5, right? He has has so much more money. But rather than going to him for, for help when we need it, we go to other things. Because there's something deep within us that says, God, I don't know if I go to you, you're gonna give me this. I don't know if I ask you for the things that you're really going to pull through. We're playing the Adam and Eve game all over again, where I could probably find my justification and gratification in something else, but God, if I come to you, there's something within me that says, I don't know if I can trust you. And that's what we do every day of our lives. But I can just imagine when I hear the gospel, him just looking at you and me, and he's saying, hey, I'm your dad, aren't I? I'm the one who created you, aren't I? I'm the one who who provides the clothes on your back, the roof over your head, the food that you eat. Why wouldn't I give you something when you need it? I am your father, aren't I? But there's something within us that just has such a difficult time believing that truth. And And while this is cosmically worse than than you know, our children refusing to eat our food or cosmically worse than me trying to prove myself in so many different ways. We have to ask the difference is that how does an eternal and an all-powerful God who's been offended like we've had maybe in many difficult, in different moments, who's been, who's been belittled like us in many different moments, who's been betrayed against, who's been rejected, how does a God like that relieve the sorrow and angers of his heart against guilty people. Romans 2.5 says this, but because of your hard and penitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Paul says, Paul says the only way that an infinite God who has anger, that has, that has broken his relationship with a God like him, the only way that he can release his anger is by releasing his wrath and punishing the guilty according to their measure. And isn't that what is right? 
For anyone who breaks the law, assuming that it is absolutely perfect, isn't it only right that they own up to their actions and receive the consequences? Wouldn't we all agree that actually, that if someone who was absolutely guilty and we let them go and just say, hey, you're forgiven, you're free to go, wouldn't we agree that that's actually very unjust and that there's actually something very broken with that system? What Paul is saying is that God is the ultimate judge. We're in the dock, and the verdict has come out, and it's been announced that we are found guilty. And God has to act. And justification is to act in justice. Some people, and a lot of us actually, we have the misconception that justification is free forgiveness. That's it. A lot of us have the misconception that when we hear the, the word, you've been justified in Christ, you are justified by God, what that means to us is that, great, I'm forgiven. I can go and do whatever I want. But see, there's a really big problem with that. Because in our Christian faith, if justification is only the fact that the guilty is forgiven, what about the victim? What about the person that has been wronged? What do they get? What happens to them and their loss if we just say, hey, the guilty, you did your thing, you, you, you messed up a lot, you brought a lot of pain, but it's fine, you're forgiven. Like, go free. No. For any one of us who's been wronged, we understand there's something in our hearts that something has to happen. Something that has been wrong has to be made right. And that's where justification steps in and says, let me complete the other side of the story. Forgiveness says you are free to go. Justification says you are free to stay. And what do I mean by that? Forgiveness says you are free to go, but justification says you are no longer an enemy, but you're free to stay. And why? Because the price has been paid. And what I hope I did for us so far was, I know I use a bunch of buzzwords like sinners, wrath of God, you know, a lot of words that we tense up when we hear, but I had to explain these words to tell us why we need to be justified. In order for there to be good news, there has to be bad news. In, in order for there to be a lie, there has to be a truth. And in order for us to experience the freedom and the good news of justification, we first have to hear the bad news of self-justification. And as Paul said to us in Romans 1, 24 to 25, you are guilty for your sins, it's time to pay. Paul also says, that in our verdict, when we've been declared guilty, our lawyer took us aside and placed a paper in front of us with our verdict written in clear black lettering. And he says, hey, now what if, what if I take your place? Now what if where you're supposed to sign your name and sign your signature that you agree that you've done all of these things? Now what if I pull you aside and I write my name where your name is supposed to be and what if I write my signature where your signature is supposed to be? And what if I take your place? And I, and, and I know how unimaginable that scenario is, but that's what the gospel is. And as your lawyer writes his name and his signature on where we're supposed to be, they remove the handcuffs off of you and me, they put it on the lawyer, and he goes in while we go free. Forgiveness says you are free to go, but justification says, hey, but you're free to stay. You're no longer an enemy, but you're a friend. Why? Because our lawyer took our place, and that's what the gospel says. 
Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, in this beautiful, beautiful passage that I hope you can read with me, he says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let me read that again. For our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, Jesus, we who are covered with sin, who are defined by sin, who are running after self-justification, can become the righteousness of God. There's a swap that happened. There's a flip that happened. He took our place. We took his place. And do you want to know why justification from God is better than self-justification and any other kind of justification this world can offer? It's because while the world is telling you in self-help books, while the world is telling you, hey, that thing that you, that you just absolutely cringe, that this thing is a part of you, hide it. Put it aside. Don't believe in it. That's not you. Sweep it under the rug. Ignore it. But what's the problem with that? The problem is that we've tried to sweep it under the rug. We try to ignore the things we've done in our past that we've hate. We try to sweep under the rug this relentless pursuit of never feeling enough, but the problem is it never goes away. We might be able to silence it temporarily, but it's gonna come back in another shape, way, or form. But what the reason why God justification far beats self-justification, because when the world is telling us ignore it, the gospel is saying you own it. The gospel is saying that part of you, it is real. Why? Because we have sin in our hearts and we can't do anything about it. But what the gospel says that is so beautiful is that but you're not defined by it. It doesn't define you. It doesn't make you who you are. And how do we know that? Because like the verse I just read, God was willing to become that part of you, be part of me, that we think is so dark, so sinful, and that we wish never had been there because he loves us. Justification is not God waiting for you to clean yourself up, and then he says, finally, you're beautiful. Finally, you're amazing. But the beauty of this message is that in our sin, in our dirt, in our filth, God looks at us, he's like, yes, you, I want you. Just like that, I want you. The part of you you think is the most ugly, it's the, I, I want that. I want to take it. And that's the beauty of this message. And he meant this so much so that he was willing to become like us in our sin, in the person of Christ, so that we can become like him in his righteousness. And he wasn't only willing to become like us, but he was also willing to die on behalf of us. Christ wasn't only to willing to live for us, but he was also willing to die for us. And this is why we have to understand justification. It's the verdict that the sinner is made righteous. And this is why we can stand in any situation and say, I can stand in this place. That's why we can go to sleep in anything that we go to. We can go to sleep at night and know everything's going to be okay. I can rest. I don't have to prove my work when I will go to work tomorrow. When the Sunday scaries is so loud tonight and I just can't calm my mind. This message, if we understand it and we get it deep into our hearts, it says, I don't have to prove my worth to anybody. It's been validated again and again and again in Christ. He says I am enough, not because I am, but because Jesus is enough. 
And that what kind of freedom, what kind of liberty would that produce in your hearts where you can approach people in conversation and you don't have to play the game of, is he trying to get to know me? Like, do I have to show him that I'm actually better than I am? So I'm going to shake his hand a little bit harder. I'm going to joke around. I'm going to use smart humor. We don't have to play that game anymore. But we can be who we are, comfortable in our own skin. Because the God of the universe, who knows the darkest things about us, says, that's enough. What would that do? Where you can go to work and you don't have to feel unappreciated. You don't have to feel you're less than. But you can exercise the gifts that God has given you freely and be a light in those places. What would that do to you? And for some of, those, um, some of us who might feel so, 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 so lonely, what would that do to you knowing you don't need to look for the affirmation of a significant other anymore? where you don't have to have this mindset of a significant other is going to complete me. It's going to make me whole. But you have everything that you need because Christ says it's enough. And he proved it. It's not just words, guys. It's not empty promises. It's not empty words, but he proved it because of the cross. And the last time I checked, Jesus hung up on that cross. He was nailed to it. And in the same way, we have to understand that this identity that we're justified in Christ, it has to be nailed to our hearts. And we have to be reminded of that every day of our lives. And so how do we have access to it? How do we live in this? Sunday services are one of the ways we do that. And it's, it's really simple. I just want to emphasize spiritual disciplines, the word of God, prayer, community. Every time we gather here on Sunday service, we're not just singing kumbaya. It's not what we're doing here. We're not playing this game of, I messed up so bad throughout the week, I need to make it up on Sunday, and I get juiced up, and I'm ready to sin again the next week, just to get recharged again the next week, and then do it all over again. That's not the game we're playing here. But the game that we're playing here is every time we gather in community, we're reminded that, guess what, this isn't a museum for the righteous, guys. A church is not a museum where righteous people gather and they flaunt their righteousness. But it's, where, it's a place where we've all battled deeply with self-justification and we've been healed by Christ and we're gathering to remind ourselves that we've been whole again and again and again. And every time you open up the word of God, we have to hear the word of God speaking to us that you were justified in Christ, that you were enough. And every time that we pray, every time that we pray, we have to hear God saying to you and me, you are my son with whom, and you are my son, you are also my daughter, with whom I am well pleased. And that's the message we have to get deep down in our hearts. And in moments, there will be times you forget. There will be times we forget that we're justified in God, and we're going to start self-justifying ourselves again. There will be moments that happens. But in those moments, remind yourself of Christ, remind yourselves of the gospel truth, and run back to it. And so if I can ask the praise team uh, just to come back up at this time, or we're going to close in prayer. And as we pray, guys, um, let's come before him at this time. Let's come before him. And let's be reminded that what God is saying when he says we're justified in Christ is that it's the verdict that he has made a sinner righteous. He has made an enemy a friend. The lost has been found. And the people who felt rejection their whole life, in Christ, they have acceptance. And so whatever it is in your heart that we're having a hard time just giving to God and we feel like we're running this rat race, let's just come before him right now and let's give it to him.
Let's give it to him because he deserves it. And let's give it to him because he wants to give us something far better. And so let's just come before our good father right now and surrender the ways we've been running to justify ourselves. Let's just, let's, so let's go, go before him in prayer right now. say thank you God for the way that you've loved us and Lord we just want to say we're sorry um, and we're sorry God that we just ran to so many other things uh, we ran to things that we thought would satisfy we ran to things that we wanted to go to to prove ourselves and to prove our worth but Lord uh, we see it in your gospel message we see it that it's only found in you and so Lord thank you for making a way um, where there was no way Thank you for helping us to get off this race of just relentlessly pursuing after ourselves and putting us on this path of righteousness, this path of joy, this path of eternal peace, and this path of just everlasting acceptance that we find in Christ. And so, Lord, there are going to be moments we forget, and there are going to be moments where we don't feel like we're enough because maybe we had a bad day. Maybe we had a fight with, uh, with one of our closest friends. Maybe we didn't do well at work. Maybe we didn't perform the way we wanted to. But thank you that regardless of the way we perform, you've already perform performed perfectly on our behalf. And because of that, we are declared righteous. We are decla we're declared beautiful. We're declared um, enough, all because of you. And so, Lord, help us to take that truth. And would you plunge that so deep into our hearts? And may we never forget it. Lord, if you are with us, if you are for us, who can stand against us? Who can say no to you, God? You said it is finished, so who are we to say not yet? Thank you, Father. You said it is finished, and you paid the price. Help us to live in this truth as a community. I pray that Mosaic would be a community that knows how to run in this, that knows how to live in this. And I pray that as we sing this next song together, that we would be remembered of who you declare us to be. We thank you, we love you, and we pray all this in your mighty name. Amen.